0: Y'all and welcome to season 10 of the Feasting on Truths podcast. I'm Erin Warren and I'm glad to be back and glad that you are here as well. This season we are feasting on the Gospel of Mark in a study called Unexpected Savior. I'll explain the title in the teaching, but as I have prepared for this study, I have been blown away by the beauty and the complexity of the structure within Mark's writings. Often think that we think of this as Mark's Gospel as the lesser of the Gospels because it's short and because 90% of it appears in other Gospels. But wow, y'all, this account of Jesus' life is anything but simple. And I'm so glad that you are here, and I am so excited to walk alongside you as we discover um, the meaning and the within the structure that lies in these incredible stories if you want more information about this study you can go to feastingontruth.com mark there you'll find links to buy the study book as well as a place to sign up for the study um time of recording we are meeting live on zoom on tuesday nights and you are always welcome to jump in and join us there's information there on how you can join that so without further ado y'all let's feast let's get to it here is the introduction and context for unexpected savior an inductive bible study on the gospel of mark
1: Hey, y'all, welcome to Unexpected Savior, an inductive study on the gospel of Mark. I am so glad that you are joining us through this journey through um, such a unique and special book. Um, I will admit that I initially picked Mark um, primarily because it perfectly breaks down into two, eight or nine week study um study semesters. And in some ways, it kind of felt like a consolation prize. You know, I think so often we love um, the words of John, if we're going to study a gospel, or we love um, reading through Paul's letters. And I'll be honest, I kind of thought of Mark as this fast-hitting, fly-by kind of recounting of Jesus's life. And I will admit, y'all, I was so off. I was so wrong. As I began studying um, and preparing for this and putting together the study book, I have been blown away by the complexity of Mark, um, by the beauty of Mark. um, And I am so excited that um, you are going to be part of this with me. Um, One of the things that uh, I think is really challenging about the Gospel of Mark is that um, it, it does if you look in your bible um you will see multiple um, stories within each chapter some of them only three four verses and if we just really kind of go into those in isolation i think we are at risk for misinterpreting what mark intended um, and so um, i'm going to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment but Um, I, I think there is such a a beauty in the structure of the gospel of Mark. And I think a lot of the meaning lies in the juxtaposition of these stories, um, that seem at first glance, like quick little, okay, Jesus did this and he went there and he healed that person. And then he gave this teaching. Um, but it's so much bigger than that. And I'm really excited to be able to walk alongside y'all as we kind of study this, um, so as I said, we're going to break this down into two semesters. Um, Mark one through eight, we study a chapter a week, and then nine through sixteen. Um, I call this. Um, I have several levels within feasting on truth of Bible study of inductiveness. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm going to I'm going to go with it. Um, and this one is classified as true inductive. So this, um, the goal, we're going to use the four simple questions. So I'm going to walk through those just real quickly in a in a moment. Um, but my goal is that I don't want to lead you. Um, and I, <laughs> it was really hard, but um, even within the book, the questions are meant to somewhat help you kind of get. Um, And you'll even see it says starter questions in your book. It really is um, trying to help you jumpstart your thinking so that you can, um, you along with the Holy Spirit as your guide, can kind of dig a little bit deeper on your own. Um, I love moving slowly through scripture. Um, I love letting it really sink in. So um, you can format your study week however you want. Sometimes um, if you want to sit down and just do it all in one day, you can do that. Um, I encourage you to, um, to read the chapter every day, um, or listen to it, um, um, through a Bible app. A lot of them have audio Bibles where you can listen to it, um, listen to it while you're in the car. Um, if you want to break it down into a couple days, you can do that as well. If you want to do it every single day, that is totally fine as well. Um, I want it to be flexible. And like I said, I want us to really zoom out and kind of see the bigger picture. Um, our theme verse for this study is Mark 1, 14 through 15. Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And I think this really sums up Mark's message. He um, is, Jesus is proclaiming the gospel of God. The time is now. He has come and finally um, and all we have to do is repent and believe. Um, Mark uses a lot of time indicators within his gospel. You're going to, you'll see that you, you're going to see the word um, now and immediately um, over and over. And he starts that um, idea right here in chapter one. The time is now that it is fulfilled in Jesus. Um, repent and believe the good news of who Jesus is and what he came do That is the call for them. Um, In the first century, it's the call for us as well. Um, So real quick, I want to just kind of go through these four simple questions. And um, if you want to go deeper into these, um, my book, Feasting on Truth, Savor the Life-Giving Word of God, really walks through each of these questions on a deeper level um, and kind of helps explain a little bit more. So that's a great resource if you are Um, wanting to learn a little bit more about how to study scripture in this way. Um, So I use four simple questions. What does this say? What does this say about God? What does this mean? And how should I respond? Um, We always start with what does this say? Because because before we can know what it means, we have to know what it says. Um, So in your book, you'll see that you have places to um, write a summary Um, and this is, so your summaries, typically I like them to be like one to two sentences because you don't want it to be super detailed. However, there's going to be a whole lot of stories in Mark. So your summaries might stretch a little bit to maybe four or five sentences some days. Um, and that's okay. Um, who, what, where, when, who are the people, um, what's going on, where are they, Um, Mark is really great about giving the setting for these stories and when, when are they happening? Well, also, like I said, Mark gives a lot of time indicators early in the morning, in the night, um, after this, things like that. Um, Transitional words. These are, um, these help us kind of uh, point to the meaning, therefore, so, now, um, but, because, all of those are going to help you be able to understand. So when you know, the old joke is when you see the word, therefore, you should ask what it's there for. Um, it's usually an indication that because of something that the author has just said, now this is true, or now this is happening. So um, knowing those transitional words is going to help you be able to kind of pull the pieces together of Mark's gospel. Um, and then repeated words. Um, like I said, we're going to see some repeated words around um, suffering. We're going to see some repeated words around servant. We're going to see some repeated time words. All of those are going to help you um, as you work toward interpretation. Um, and um, so the next one is, what does this say about God? Now, I teach Bible study from a God-centered um point of view, um, which means that we are constantly looking first and foremost for the characteristics and the names of God within scripture, because this is a book about him, not a book about us. Um, We very often um, want to come to scripture asking questions um, that we want answers to, but the Bible is not a book that answers every question under the sun, but it does Help point us to the God who is sovereign over everything. Um, it is a book that he uses to guide us to himself. And so um, it is the second question because I want us to think about that first and foremost. However, um, as you dig deeper and as you study, you're going to continually continually add to this list. So um, don't feel like you have to sit down and come up with every characteristics of God before you can move on to what does this mean? Um, And speaking of what does this mean? So always, 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 even actually before the first one, pray, pray, pray. Um, John 14, 26 tells us that um, the Holy Spirit, part of his job is to teach us what Jesus has said and help us remember what we have learned. And so um, we always wanna invite the Holy Spirit into our time and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and to teach us and to help us remember. Um, Because this is the gospel of Jesus, many of these stories are gonna be familiar. And so we need to really push ourselves to kind of lay aside our preconceived notions or things that maybe we have learned before and really um, open with some fresh eyes and ask the Lord to reveal um, truth to us um, as we study. Um, each week in your "What does this mean section, I've given you um, a few definitions. I love words, and I love looking up words um in the Eng- even in the English dictionary because sometimes it gives us such um, better insight. And so each week, there's um, usually two, um, definitions to look up, but then there's space for you to to uh, for your own um, cross references. These are um, other verses within Scripture that are related to the one that you were reading. Um, sometimes they are connecting between the Old and New Testament. Sometimes there are other places within the New Testament that are speaking to that as well. Um, same idea or same kind of story. Um, I have been. Um, intentional not to give you cross-references to other Gospels. Um, So there are, um, and I'll get to this a little bit more in a moment, but 90% of Mark is found in Matthew. And so um, I want us to really see Mark's purpose and Mark's view Not to say that we can't look at the other Gospels, but um, I really want you to be able to pull your study from Mark first and foremost before looking at um, the other Gospels and their perspective on these particular stories. Um, And um, there are some weeks where there will be some additional cross-references within your starter questions that will kind of help guide your study time just a little bit. Um, Read in multiple translations. Um, Like I said, listen to it. I always start with the ESV, um, but the Christian Standard Bible, the NIV are also great ones um, to kind of utilize um, in the initial study. Um, You can read more about the translations in the Start Here section of your book. Um and then toward the end of your study week, that's when it's okay to turn to commentaries. Um, I use commentaries to either get myself unstuck. So if I really am in a place where I can't figure out what it means, I'll turn to some trusted commentaries. Um or once I kind of get a grasp on what I think it means, I use commentaries to kind of help um confirm what the Holy Spirit said. Um if you feel like the Holy Spirit is telling you something and you can find no other commentaries that support it, most likely not um, what that passage means. Um, I don't really believe that there's anything new under the sun. I don't know that there is anything in scripture that the Lord has not revealed to someone else. Um, and so I want us to make sure that we are not studying in isolation. Um, beware of random blogs. Um, to trusted websites. And if you go to feastingontruth.com slash resources, I'll put that link in the show notes as well. Um, that, um, has all of these, um, Bibles. Um, it has some of the, the, um, study Bibles and, um, commentaries that I use as well. So, and how should I respond? Um, I really want us to focus. Um, so you'll notice that on each week, um, the first question for your response is who is Jesus and what did he come to accomplish? This is really one of the overarching themes within Mark is establishing who Jesus is and what he came to do. And so um, there's space for you to do that, to write a prayer of Thanksgiving. And then um, I always love applications that is um, centered on the character of God. And so at the end of each week and within your small groups, be prepared to share Um because God is blank, I can blank. So because God is faithful, I can trust him. So whatever it is that week that the Lord really stirs in your heart over who he is and then how you can respond in light of that character of God. Like I said, um, more of this, you can go to feastingontruth.com slash how to. Um, there's a couple videos on there, but um, also the Feasting on Truth, Saber the Life-Giving Word of God book. Um, if you go to feastingontruth.com slash books, you can find links to that as well. Um, also don't be intimidated by the notes pages. I take a lot of notes and I have a huge pet peeve about getting books that don't have enough room for all my notes in it. So please do not feel like you have to fill out all those blank pages, but they are there for you. If you like me take a lot of notes. Um, so let's get to... Mark, Um, before beginning any study, we start with context. Context is super important because it helps set the lens and the framework for the study. If we don't understand the context, then we are at risk for misinterpretation of scripture. Um, We never want to just drop into a book and start studying without answering some questions first to understand. So this is kind of a twofold There's historical context, which is most of what these um, passages are about. And then, uh, sorry, most of these questions are about, but then there's also the scriptural context. So scriptural um, context is studying within the context of scripture, which is why I love studying whole books of the Bible at a time, because then Um, you're better able to interpret understanding. Particularly, this is what I have found in Mark because of the structure of his gospel. Um, So some um, context questions, and these are the ones that you're going to be kind of going through with your small group today. Um, Who wrote this book? (laughs) Um, I'm actually surprised to learn that there is some debate over the authorship of this Um, of certain books of the Bible, but most likely um, most agree that it was written by John Mark. Um, And what do we know about this author? Um, So John, who is also called Mark, and then sometimes just Mark in scripture. um, One of the ways that we can discover this um, and, and really learn more about is to, in the search bar, On an online Bible, you can type in Mark and um, it will pull up all the verses um, where Mark is mentioned. And so we learn in Colossians 4.10 at the end of Paul's letter here to the church at Colossae that John Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. Um, if you remember, Barnabas is the one who, um, when Saul goes blind, um, he meets on the Jesus on the road to Tam- Damascus in Acts. I think it's chapter nine, um, and he sends him to Barnabas. Um, he also shows up several places. Um, we know that John Mark um, has a a a deep relationship with Peter. Um, In fact, um, Peter is most likely John Mark's source um, because uh, Peter is an eyewitness to all of this. Um, There are some that believe that Mark is compiling um, the preaching of Peter and putting them together. Um, In 1 Peter 5, at the end of Peter's letter, 12 and 13 he says by sylvanus a faithful brother as i regard him i have written briefly to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of god stand firm in it she who is at babylon who is likewise chosen sends you greetings and so does mark my son and so we see mark has this strong relationship with peter where peter regards mark as a as his son um mark also shows up several places within acts um in acts 12 11 through 12 um this is the story where peter is imprisoned and an angel comes and removes his shackles and um he escapes um and uh it says in verse 11 when peter came to himself he said now i am sure that the lord has sent his angel and rescued me From the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people and from all that the Jewish people were expecting, and when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many had gathered together and were praying. And so, um, we see that when Peter escapes prison, he goes to the house of Mary, where a group has gathered and is praying for him. And this house happens to be the house of mark um mary is his mother um he traveled mark traveled with barnabas and saul who's also called paul um in acts 12:25 and barnabas and saul returned from jerusalem and when they had completed their service bringing with them john whose other name was mark acts 13:4 and 5 so being sent out by the holy spirit they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. Um, Acts 13, 13, this is where we see a split. Um, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. And apparently, um, John leaving them, Mark um, leaving them, um, led to a disagreement between Barnabas and Saul. We see this in Acts 15, 36 through 40. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take them, um, take with them. Them, one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had gone uh, and had not gone with them to work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and they sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And so we see this, um, it's actually a famous kind of split between Barnabas and Paul over. John Mark because um, he had previously left them and it was so sharp a disagreement um, that Barnabas takes Mark and goes one way and Paul takes Silas and goes another way. Um, But one of the other things that I love about doing this in scripture is that we, um, we also sometimes, you know, we don't have necessarily any more of the story, but we do see in the closing of several of Paul's letters um, the mentioning of Mark, which points us to the fact to the um idea that that they at some point reconciled and that Mark actually becomes quite a valuable resource for Paul. We already read um in Colossians 4:10, um, that Mark was with Paul in Rome um, in Philemon 23 through 24, he says, "Um, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. And so we see um, Mark working with Paul at the end of Philemon. Um, In 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 11, which is uh, mostly regarded as one of Paul's last letters, we see, do your best to come to me soon. He's writing to Timothy, who he considered his spiritual son, um, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Um, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. And so this is really kind of the weird, what we know of Mark um, from other places in scripture. And so we see this young man who grew up... Um, surrounded by the body of Christ, really on the forefront of the church, that um, they were gathering in his mother's home, that Peter was involved, that Peter regarded him as a son and, and t- told him all of these amazing things about Jesus, the, the Messiah, the unexpected Savior, um, that he traveled with Paul and Barnabas and that he um, became a useful worker for the ministry of Christ. And so he writes um, the gospel of Mark um, and he wrote it. And this is what's interesting, not to a Jewish audience. Um, it is the only gospel that is not written um, primarily to a Jewish audience. Um, it is a primarily Gentile audience. And because of that, he rarely quotes directly from the Old Testament. So you'll see there's a few Old Testament books quotes within um, his gospel, but not to the extent that we would find in John or, Mar- or Matthew. Um, Mark was believed to have been written in the mid-50s to late 60s, most believe it was about 64 AD, um, and it is most likely the first gospel that was written. Um, Most believe that it was written after 64 AD because of the heavy themes of suffering, Um, and I'll get to that in just a second. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels, um, and they really um, are written very differently than the Gospel of John. Um, Mark 90, like I said earlier, 90% of Mark features in Matthew. And because of that, many believe that, um, Mark was written first. Mark actually uses a very basic form of Greek when he writes. Um, and much of his grammar is, is fixed in the gospel of Matthew, um, It is also the shortest gospel. It is half the length of Matthew and Luke, um, and it was written to fit on one scroll. So that is part of the reason why it is so quick in its stories and in its um, miracles and its teachings um, is because Mark wrote to fit it all on one scroll so that it could be easily carried Around. Um, The genre of this book is the gospel and what's going on in history. Okay, so this is why that 64 AD um, date is so key. Um, In the 60s, that is when um, Jerusalem, uh, when Israel, when this area is under Roman rule and under the um, Emperor Nero. And if you know anything about Nero from history classes from a long time ago, Um, In 64, he blamed the burning of Rome. There was a great fire in Rome in 64 AD and he blamed Nero, blamed blamed it on the Christians. Um, Popular speculation though, is that he started it himself to build himself a bigger um, palace. But in that time, it kind of ushered in a a season of intense persecution of the church. Um, It was, um, he would... um, they would arrest Christians, cover them in skins, and give them to wild animals. Um, they would be burned as lanterns at his garden parties. It was awful, and it was terrible. And because of the themes of suffering within the gospel of Mark, um, many people believe that that it was written in about this time, and probably not any earlier. Um, Craig S. Keener in the IVP Bible Background Commentary says Thus, Mark wrote to a community that needed to be reminded that God hears prayers and would work through their witness and faith. They also needed to be reminded that this might cost them their lives in persecution. So we're going to see a Jesus who humbled himself and suffered here. This is hope for us when we face the same, when life is hard, when trials persist, when it feels like it's um, too much. Um, let's remember that he came. Um, I know, um, I said, I wouldn't go to other gospels, but one of my favorite pictures of this is John 16, He says, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. What we see and learn of Jesus should bring comfort to our hearts in times of hardship and remind us, um, of why he came. Um, some key themes. So this is where the fun begins, y'all, because I've just, I've loved learning so many of these really unique, awesome things that I have found in Mark. Um, So remember, Mark is writing to a non-Jewish audience, and there are some scholars who actually liken the gospel of Mark to a Greek tragedy. What I think is so fascinating is that um, the audience often dictates the form. And so we'll see, you know, with the letters, they are written in a particular form for modern day, uh, or not modern day for um, the, that day. So they follow a the same format, you would actually start with who the letter is from kind of establishing their authority, giving a greeting, closing, you know, all of those, those things. So Mark writes in a similar format to a Greek tragedy except this one doesn't end tragically. Um, It ends with a happy ending. Um, Like I said Mark uses the most basic um, Greek but let me tell y'all this gospel is anything but simple. Um, in the Gospel, according to Mark, by James R. Edwards, he says this, although the style of Mark approximates everyday spoken Greek rather than affecting high literary quality, the Gospel nevertheless um, displays considerable sophistication. In literary intention and design, as is evidenced by Mark's sandwich technique, use of irony, and special motifs of insider outsiders, commands to silence, and the journey. These and other literary conventions are employed by the author of the second gospel in order to portray a profoundly theological conception of Jesus as the authoritative yet suffering Son of God. So The layout and design of Mark is absolutely fascinating. And I want us to pay close attention to this as we study, because like I said earlier, a lot of the actual meaning of these passages is not found by drilling down into those three verses that cover that one story. It's to pull back and to look at the structure of chapters um, because the meaning is found in the juxtaposition It's not chronological, but it's all true. Um, And so we see these juxtapositions that are called out by Edwards in that um, comment. So he mentions this um, technique called the sandwich technique. Y'all, I love this um, because it's the perfect thing to feast on because I love food and I love feasting on the word. Um, So why not have a sandwich of the word, right? So there are nine of them in the in in um, the got in the Gospel of Mark, and so I want us to. Um, I'm not going to give them to you now. I want you to find them. Um, I'm going to give you one as an example, but think like a sandwich. You have bread, you have something in the middle, and then you have the bread again. And so we see um, nine times within the Gospel where he has a story that's interrupted with something else, and then he comes back to that same story. Um, Um, And that center story is the theological key. So um, it's going to be, it's what's in the sandwich that defines the meaning of the sandwich, right? So if you have a Philly cheesesteak, is that really considered a sandwich? I guess it probably is. I probably should have hit a turkey sandwich. If you're going to have a turkey sandwich, you call it a turkey sandwich because of what's in the middle. And so in the same way with these techniques, um, these sandwich techniques, Um, I'm going to give you one of them. One of them is found in Mark 5, 21 through 43. So we find this guy named Jairus whose daughter is dying and he comes to him and he says, I need you to come heal my daughter. And as he is going, he stops and he has an encounter with a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. And then it picks back up. He goes with Jairus to the house. The daughter has died and I'm not gonna spoil the rest of the story for you, but I think you can probably guess what happened. So this is a, a um, an example of a Marken sandwich as they are called. Um, he also, Edwards also points to Mark's use of irony. Y'all, this is one of my favorite discoveries in Mark. So Marion webster defines irony as incongruity between the actual results of a sequence of events and the normal or expected result, So this is, irony is when you think this is gonna happen and instead this happens, um, the result and the response are unexpected. Um, that is part of why um, this, this study is called The Unexpected Savior. Um, So I want you to pay attention to this one, especially when we um, are looking at the religious leaders, the people Jesus associates with, even with the disciples, where um, he uses irony. Um, Special motifs of insiders and outsiders. Um, These are cases where we are going to see people on the outside are actually finding themselves on the inside with jesus and those you would expect to be on the inside with jesus are actually on the outside um we'll see this um, a great example of this is in mark 7 with the syrophoenician woman she's a gentile woman and she's one that you would think would be on the outside and we see this beautiful encounter where jesus brings her to the inside um command to silence now this one is is tricky and I will admit I had to do some digging in some commentaries to fully understand because we're going to see repeated over and over and over where Jesus tells people, don't tell anyone what I just did. And it's going to sound so counterintuitive. Wouldn't Jesus want to tell them to tell everyone because he has come, he has come to save. Why wouldn't he want everyone proclaiming from the rooftops that the Messiah has come? Um, And so um, there's a couple of of theories on this. The NIV Cultural Backgrounds Study Bible um, says a key reason for silence about the healings is that Jesus was drawing ever increasing crowds, creating conditions difficult for personal ministry. So if there's large people around you, it's really hard to be able to have personal relationships with those that you are pouring into so that the message of Christ can eventually go far. Um, The presence of such crowds would also draw unwelcome attention from political elites and premature revelation of his Messiahship, would um, precipitate his premature execution as the king of the Jews. Moreover, Jesus's messianic title and purpose, clearly misunderstood by his own disciples, would certainly be misunderstood by the crowds. Um, We must remember that we have the entire story, and they did not. They are living this out in real time. And as we are going to see and understand Jesus was not the savior that they were expecting. Um, The Jewish people were expecting a king. Um, I think many who were walking through suffering were questioning, wait a second. I said yes to Jesus. Why is this so hard? Um, He didn't come to give a good life. He didn't come to give us comfort um, in the the worldly sense. Um, And so um, this messianic secret really kind of points to this idea that um, again, everything was to be revealed in, um, in God's timing. He is so deliberate and he has ordered um, and we will see when we get to the crucifixion um, in the second half of the study, just how deliberate he is with the timing of Jesus's um, crucifixion on the cross. Um, and so um, I think a lot of this is some of it's cultural. Um, you wouldn't come in and say, hey, I'm the Messiah before you hit or I'm the king without um, actually having the crown on your head. Um, That was looked down upon in that society. And so a lot of this messianic secret or the secret gospel, as it's called, was really about protecting um, those who were close to Jesus and and protecting the timing um, that God had for all of it. Um, and then the last thing that Edwards kind of points to is the journey. So there are three acts, if you will, within this. Um, and I'm going to put a link in um, in the description um, to the Bible Projects video on Mark, where they kind of go into the the breakdown of these three kind of sections Um The journey also includes maps and there's maps in your book, y'all. I love the maps. And like I said, uh, Mark is really great about giving us the setting. And so look at the map, see where he is, see where these things are taking place. These are real places where Jesus encountered real people and did real work Um, And spoke real words. And so look at the map and follow their journey and their footsteps. Um, But while we are also on a physical journey with Jesus, we are also on a spiritual one with him as well. Um, We are continuing to grow in our faith as we work out our faith. Um, and we are going to see that um, with the disciples, we're going to see that with the people that he encounters. Um, Again, continuing from the quote from above, Craig S. Keener from the IVP Bible Background Commentary says, finally they could be reminded, this is the audience of of Mark, they could be reminded through the failures of the disciples in Mark That if they had not yet achieved the radical lifestyle their Lord's words demanded, he would still work with them patiently to help them get to that level of commitment. Um, We often read this with disdain for the disciples. How could they miss it? They were right there. Jesus was doing this. How could they be so thick headed to not understand? And we need to remember that Jesus is coming and flipping a script. Um, they were expecting one thing, and Jesus came and was doing something unexpected. And so they are learning in that process. But I also think what I thought was really interesting about Keener's words here um, is that Mark also gives hope for us all. We are all working out our faith. Um, and if you want to kind of hear more about this concept when I taught through Romans four, and I'll put this link also in the description. When I taught through Romans four, We talked about Abraham's journey of faith, how at our moment of salvation, we are not perfect. Our faith is not perfect. And I can imagine these people who may have maybe idolized or put on pedestals, these disciples, for them to read about the failures of their disciples would help them remember that that God is patient with us as we work out our faith and as we grow in our faith and as we walk along this journey with him, not using his grace as a cover for sin, but understanding that his grace covers us in a way that allows us to continue drawing closer and closer to him, not perfection, but in sanctification. Um, so we're going to answer, and I mentioned this earlier too the two key, key questions each week who is Jesus and what did he come to do? Um, particularly in the first half of the study, Mark is really going to establish the authority of Jesus. Um, and so you'll see that question in the first half of your book as well. What does he have, what does Mark establish that Jesus had authority over? Um, and what did he come to do? This is so important y'all, because Jesus was the unexpected savior. Um, Jesus was not the conquering King. He did not come to be the magical genie that would give us whatever we ask. Um, he, um, did not come to raise us to prominence, um, he was a man of sorrows a servant and a savior and his mission was to make a way for us to have relationship with our holy god um as we kind of wrap up here i just want to finish with the words of isaiah 53 and these are words that we are going to keep in our mind as we think and go through mark and we see this man of sorrows we see this unexpected savior we see this servant who suffered on our behalf. um, Isaiah 53, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look to him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by god and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and by his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I encourage you in your small groups to finish reading Isaiah 53 together and, and talk about this idea of Jesus as the suffering servant, the man of sorrows, the unexpected savior. Would you pray with me? God, I just thank you so much Um that you came, that you um, did not want um, separation from us, Lord, but instead you made a way through yourself, through Jesus, Lord, to um, allow us to have relationship with you now, Lord, in eternal life. and. Um, with you forever. Lord, I just pray as we embark on these words of Mark, that you would just give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts and minds to understand, Lord, who you are and what you came to do for us. Thank you for being you and thank you for, um, for revealing yourself to us. Lord, come and it's in your name I pray. Amen.
0: So much more I could say, <laughs> isn't there always? Um, I didn't even get a chance to touch on Mark's focus on the human emotion of Jesus. I like to call it divine grief, but throughout the book we're going to see Mark call out the emotion of Jesus. His anger, his grief, his sadness it adds so much to the understanding of why Jesus came. He knew this world was not what it was meant to be. And so he came to make a way to restoration, ultimately one day in the new heaven and the new earth, but also right now in that restored relationship with our source for everything we need, God, our Father. And I think what's a neat little tidbit in this is that when we um, talk about Mark writing from this aspect of, of, potentially in the form of a Greek tragedy, that these emotions almost act as stage direction. Um, Another one that I didn't talk about is how um, many times we're gonna see the repeated use of the words astonished, amazed, and marveled. And we're going to see the people that Jesus encounter respond to him in this way, in this amazement, in this astonishment, marveling at who he is. I'm so excited if you can't tell. I cannot wait to feast on this incredible book with you. Don't forget to check out all the links in the description. Get your book at feastingontruth.com mark, and I'll see you next week. Until then, happy feasting.